when a young couple say they want to get married and uh, there are some obvious concerns because they're from such different backgrounds and there's some different, you know, and the, they're, they're too young and stuff. And you say to them, but I mean, this doesn't look like it's got much of a chance to work. And they say, no, no, we've, we've figured it all out. Figured it all out. All makes sense. We're going to do this, that, that, and that. And it's going to work. So, now, what you really mean is that you're marrying each other no matter what. That's what you really say. That's what you're really feeling. You're saying, I'm going to marry this person no matter what happens. Knowing full well that it's totally irrational and it hasn't got a chance in the world. But why don't you say that? Why don't you come out and say it? Say, look, I know it doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine how this is going to work. But to heck with it, we're going to do it. Then you'd be sane. Reckless, but sane. But when you come along and say, no, I don't understand what you're saying. What do you mean it can't work? It can work. It will work. You're lying to yourself. You've, conf you've convinced yourself of something that is totally untrue. And it's not that you're making a mistake in your logic. I mean, obviously, you can, you can think that two and two is five and simply be making a mistake. You're not making a mistake. You're forcing the mind to behave on faith. And that's inappropriate. The mind never behaves on faith. That's not the function of a mind. And, and of course, it, it happens much too, much too often that uh, when it gets to sensitive and, and intense areas in our life, we, we, get, we get disoriented. The person says, look, we are committed to each other and we're going to go through it. What are you talking about? You're not committed to each other. It's not true. You're not committed. You don't even know what the word committed means. All you're saying is that you're hung up on each other. That's a different story. That's a totally different thing. So again, if you come along and you're, and you're saying honestly, I know it's going to be hard. I know this is not the usual way. I know that we're from two different backgrounds and that we're not really ready to get married, but we're going to try. We're committed to trying. We're going to work very hard at this. That sounds reasonable. Still may not work, but it sounds reasonable. But when a person says, we are committed, and in fact, that's not, not, that hasn't entered into the picture at all. You're just excited about each other. So again, you're doing the same thing. You're describing something with the wrong title. You're calling it something that it isn't. You think you have something when you have something else. And that's just... And that can't possibly work. It's also a bad habit to get into. You do it with one relationship, and then you do it with your children, and then you do it with your mother, and you do it with yourself, and you do it with your boss. And it gets to be a very poor way of living. But then we turn around and we blame brainwashing on cults. Why blame it on cults? We do it to ourselves all the time. That's brainwashing. I mean, you talk to somebody who's gotten into a Christian cult, and you see that there's no reasoning with this person. They're out to lunch. You're talking to the wall. They're sitting right there in front of you with their eyes wide open, and you're talking to them or at them or something, and not a word is getting in. 
not a word. And you say, oh, brainwashed. Those people should be arrested. They should be hung. Look what they did to this poor kid. But talk to somebody who, has, who is determined to get married. It's exactly the same thing. You're, they're out to lunch. There's nobody home. You're talking to the wall. Not a single word gets through. And who did that to them? Nobody. They did it to themselves. And that's why you need someone you trust more than yourself. Because you can brainwash yourself easily. You've got to find somebody you can't brainwash and take their advice. This is, this is one of the terrors, one of the hesitations that Hasidim have in visiting the Rebbe. Right now it's a little difficult to see the Rebbe privately, but in the years when it was common that you made an appointment and you went in and saw the Rebbe privately, and you would ask him for advice on X number of things, the terror was that you would walk into the Rebbe and say, Rebbe, I want to daven and concentrate on my davening, but I can't. And ask for advice or a bracha. You were terrified that it may not be true. That it may not be true. That you're walking into the Rebbe and you're saying, I want to daven, and it's a lie. And to lie to the Rebbe is like, I mean, there is one little corner of the world in which there's no games, in which there's no falsehood, in which there's no lying, and you're going to walk into that room and lie and play games. And so the chassid would hesitate, would wait and prepare and rethink and, and before he would allow himself to open his mouth to the Rebbe, because chances are he'd probably be lying. A chassid once went into the Alter Rebbe, I think it was, and he said to him that it bothers him that he doesn't have, when he says Shema Yisrael, it's not with his whole heart. It's not with his whole heart. That bothers him. And as soon as he had said that, he said, no, Rebbe, it, that's not true. It doesn't bother me. That's the, the problem. It doesn't bother me. And then a moment later he said, and that doesn't bother me either. And a moment later he fainted. Because he thought to himself, what I just said wasn't the truth either. It doesn't bother me that it doesn't bother me. So what am I doing here? And he fainted away. Because he had come into the Rebbe and lied three times. And besides the lie, he had nothing else to say. So where did he come from? He came to tell the Rebbe how it bothers him that he doesn't concentrate. It doesn't bother him. Oh, so it bothers him that it doesn't bother him. Eh, not really. So what am I standing here with the Rebbe for? And he fainted, passed out. Most people, if they write to the Rebbe they want to get married, they really want to get married. But there are people who have no intentions of getting married. And, and every time they go out, they make sure that they do something to blow it so that they won't get married. 
And then they write back to the Rebbe and say, I went out with so-and-so, who was recommended to me by such-and-such, such, but no, it didn't work. Please give me a bracha, I should get married. They go out a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and they make sure to blow it each time, and then they keep writing to the Rebbe, oh, Rebbe, it's been so long, I want to get married. So again, it's the same thing. They would want to want to get married. So they're writing to the Rebbe saying, make me want to get married. But that's not what they're saying. They're saying, oh, I've been waiting so long, I can't wait anymore, I've got to get married. You're lying to the Rebbe. You're playing games where no games are played. And the same with God. In getting into Yiddishkeit and in doing tshuva, the last thing you want to do is bring your games into it. But then again, how can you not? I think the safest thing to do is, if God says to do it, just do it. Just do it. Don't play games with it. Leave the mitzvah alone. It's fine as it is. It's a divine instruction. It's a holy thing. Be grateful that you have an opportunity to do it and just do it. And let God be. Don't play games with Him. Same thing. No matter who it is, no matter who it is, as long as you're married to him. <laughs> if it's the person you're married to, then yes, there is a very important dimension to the, mar to the relationship and to the marriage in which you don't play games. And that dimension is when you're dealing with your husband's will. I mean, your response to his humor is humorous. I mean, you laugh at his jokes. You don't say, okay, if that's what you think is funny, that's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> if, he's, if he's being humorous, you respond with humor. But how do you respond to his will? He wants something, or he needs something. How do you respond to that? The only proper response to that is, if that's what you want, that's what you get. Not, what do you really mean? Oh, is that what you want? But what about what I want? When it comes to will, whether it's God's will or another person's will, the only way to honestly respond, of course, there, is, there are higher ways of responding where your will is really in tune with his will and blah, blah. Let's not get too ambitious here. The proper response to another will, whether it's God's or somebody else's, is to leave it be. Leave it be. I was talking to this woman who was complaining about her husband. She says, he doesn't communicate well. He's the quiet type. doesn't communicate well. And... Uh, he never appreciates what I do for him. Now, when you hear that, what, what uh, alarms go off in your mind? A woman says, I'm married to a husband, he's not very communicative, and he doesn't appreciate what I do for him. I said, give me an example. Well, an example, um, 
I have to travel a long way and then to go to work and during the lunch break I take my time off from my free time at work and I drive to where he's working to bring him a lunch. Special. Doesn't appreciate. Never said thank you. I said, just out of curiosity, did he ask you to bring him lunch? She says, no. No, he didn't even ask me. I don't even wait for him to ask me. I just do it because I love him, because I want to be a good wife. And he doesn't appreciate. All the way down the line, from the first moment they got together, she was doing him favors he didn't ask for. And the one thing he did ask for, she ignored. Didn't seem important. So he stopped asking her. Will is too close, too intimate to the person to play around with. If a person wants something, the only way to respond is by letting it be. He said he wants this. Don't bring him something else. The guy said he wants a peanut butter sandwich. No, but you're a wonderful wife. You made him a corned beef sandwich. And you're surprised. He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't like corned beef. He wanted, <laughs> he wanted a peanut butter sandwich. He said, but look, I mean, if he likes a peanut butter sandwich, how much more will he like a corned beef sandwich? We're not discussing menus. We're talking about a person's will. You don't tamper with that. Leave it be. But then why do you go to the trouble to explain things in a way that are mystical and interesting, Kabbalistic, that, that make it, you know, that help to open some of our minds to it, that help to make it more palatable to us? Why do you bother to do that then? Because, because a relationship is made up of many, of many dimensions. When it comes to doing the mitzvah, It has to be repeated over and over again. When it comes to doing the mitzvah, it's because God said so. That's what he wants. You want to use your mind in Yiddishkeit? By all means. You want to get your emotions involved? Obviously. Must. Should. You want to see the drama of, of the, the, cos the cosmic plan? Of course. But when God says, put the mezuzah on the right side, don't argue. Don't tell them that on the left side is more convenient and it looks better <laughs> in the interior decorating plan. It fits better, you know, for the eye, it's easier to look at. On the Just put it on the right side. because a will has no gray area. Logic and emotion have gray areas. So that, for example, you can study a subject and become quite familiar with it. You don't know it all, but you're quite familiar. So you have a good piece of that subject. You've mastered half of it. You've mastered almost three quarters of it. You've got a good chunk of it. You've gotten a good bite out of it. And, and the piece you have is absolutely valid. 
There will be more? Fine. When you have more, there'll be more. But in the meantime, you have a substantial, valid piece of information, even though you haven't mastered the whole subject. But in will, if you do half of what the person asked, you haven't fulfilled his will halfway. You have violated his will all the way. If a person says, can you give me a cup of water, and you give him a cup without water, well, you've done half. <laughs> you should at least say thanks for that. You haven't done half. You've spited him. Because in will, there is no halves. The nature of will is that it is so close to the person himself that, that he can't compromise on it, just as he can't compromise himself. That can sometimes be a hang-up, where everything the person wants can't be compromised. But that's his problem. When we're dealing with another person's will, we have to give it the respect that will demands. Will cannot be appeased. Intellect can be appeased. I will tell you half the story today, I'll finish it tomorrow. I'll, tell you, I'll, give, I'll give you half the explanation today, the rest of the explanation tomorrow. I'll answer two questions, but three questions we'll have to wait for tomorrow. That's, that's fine. That's not compromising your intelligence. That's taking it piece by piece. But when a person wants a cup of water and you bring him a cup without the water, that's not fulfilling his will piece by piece. You've just spited him. You, you didn't do what he wanted. You say, well, you did half. Will doesn't come in halves. There are no parts to it. You either did it or you refused to do it. Or, in more personal terms, you either accepted me the way I am or you didn't. You say, well, I accept, I almost accept you the way you are. I just have to change one thing. Well, then you haven't accepted me, not almost accepted. Haven't accepted. And there are certain things in life that don't have any gray area. Like, uh, like the guy who says, I have gone on 30 kamikaze missions. <laughs> you can't go on 30 kamikaze missions. There is no such thing as a partial suicide or a partial self-sacrifice. There's no such thing as partial loyalty. A person say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a loyal person. Pretty much a loyal person is exactly the same as a disloyal person. Somebody says to you, can you be trusted? Can I rely on you? And you say, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> then fine, I know to go elsewhere. Pretty much is not reliable. Pretty much is unreliable. So no, 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 65% of the time I'm reliable. That's exactly the same as saying, don't trust me if it's important. So just as there, there's no gray area in reliable or trustworthy or loyal 
or self-sacrificing, there's no, there's no gray area in will. There's no partial will. There's partial intelligence, but there's no partial will. And either you did what I want or you didn't do it. You can't do it half. Not everything is a will. And again, definitions. <clears throat> a child loves ice cream. doesn't mean he wants ice cream. He doesn't want ice cream. If you happen to mention it and somebody else has it, he also wants it. But not every want is a will. So if those things are what's clashing between husband and wife, wants, so you put aside your wants. That's, that's not much of a sacrifice. That's simply being reasonable. What is really your will, you can't easily put aside. It's got to be it's got to be worked out so that you can both have what you want. <coughs>